0: Well, it's good to be here with you today. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had a very familiar text. Uh, I know if you've been raised in church, and even if not, this is a parable that you have probably heard and you're very familiar with. And uh, you you might have a tendency to kind of shut me down because you've heard all this stuff before. I encourage you not to do that because one of the things I've learned is yeah, I can read scripture a hundred times, and the hundredth time it speaks to me in a, a way that it has not before. So, uh, not that it changes, but God changes us and works within us. But anyway, uh, I, it's a pleasure to be here today. As you know, Pastor Jason is uh, taking some time with his wife and uh, enjoying and celebrating their anniversary, and we're thankful they can do that. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to share with you this morning out of this parable Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Of course, you know there's three main characters. There's God, or the Father, uh, and then there's the two sons. There's the young son, the elderly son, uh, and probably most of us, at one time or another, we have identified with both of these sons. And uh, I, I pray that this morning, again, that God might open our eyes and open our hearts to the truth that he wants to share with us from this text today. So, I'm going to just kind of be reading this in sections, and if you're a person that likes to follow along in your Bible, you really need to keep it open to Luke 15, because we'll be coming back there about four different times. And if you like to take notes, there's going to be times I make reference to verses. I'm not going to read them, I'm just going to make reference to them. And I'll try to tell you where they're at, so you can jot them down if you're a note taker. If not, you'll probably recognize most of them. But let's have a word of prayer, and we're going to jump right into this together this morning. God, it's so good to be here. It is so wonderful to be called a child of God. What a blessing that is. And I just pray today that you will help us clearly uh, hear your word. Father, that your spirit might teach us, uh, that we might, through the scriptures, clearly again see a picture of of yourself, God our Father. And Father, that you would help us to clearly see ourselves, uh, that you would help us identify ourselves in, in the lives of one of these sons. Uh, And God, that uh, where we find ourselves, that it might not leave us uh, as it's found us, but there will be a change in our lives because we have joined together today and we have met with you and we have read your word together and your spirit has worked in us and through us for your glory. And that is what we ask this morning, God, that you be exalted in the lives of each person sitting in this sanctuary today. Thank you for loving us with such a great love that you sent your son. Then you sought us out and called us to yourself and you gave us life. And I pray even now, God, if there are individuals who have not yet believed that today you might open their minds and their hearts, God, and withdraw them to yourselves by your love. Well, thank you for loving us in Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start at the very beginning here. Uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And I'm going to read just the first five or six verses there. And he said, being Jesus, this is Jesus, this is the third of three parables that he has recorded here in Luke 15. says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, And there he squandered his property and reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So there we have the introduction uh, to the younger son. The son who at this time was staying with the father, he was under the authority of the father. He had the provisions of the father, but he was not satisfied. He was not satisfied with living under the authority of his father, nor was he satisfied with the provisions that his father was giving him. So he went to his father, and he said, give me what is due me. Now, usually that is received after the death of the father, okay? But this son was not guided by a love for his father. He was guided by a love for himself. He was a young man who was filled of greed and the lust of the things of this world. And because he was, he acted that out. And our action—excuse <clears throat> me—our actions really speak a lot about our heart. And that is exactly what we see about this young man. <clears throat> You're gonna—excuse me—I allergies. So anyway, he comes to his father and he says, I want to do this. And a few days later, it says he took all that the father had given him and he departed and he went to a far country. And you know, God will allow his children to do that as well. God will allow his children to go their own way for a while, okay? And and that's exactly what this young man did. He took all he had. It says he journeyed to the far country. He squandered his property in reckless living. So here, out from underneath the authority and the leadership of his dad, I'm sure he probably had a lot of fun while it lasted. I'm sure he had a lot of friends. He was really living it up. But in living it up, he was really turning his back on the Father. And we need to understand that as the children of God, as individuals, when we are loving the things of this world more than we are God, the scriptures in First John would say we are an enemy of God. When, when our desires are more pulled by the desires that this world can fulfill for us, then we are turning our back on our Heavenly Father. And that is exactly what this young man did. Uh, unlike, you know, the Scriptures give us a lot of illustrations about this. He gave us Moses, of course, Moses was the positive one over there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25. He said no to all the wonderful things of Egypt because he refused to have the pleasures of sin, that King James would say, for a season. So, yeah, you know the world, it is fun for a season. Man, you can go out and do your thing and live in the world and live by the pleasures and the fulfillments of the world, and it can be an enjoyable experience. Moses realized that, and he said, no to that. And that's why the scripture so often warns us about the dangers of sin. The writer of Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 14, 12, says there's a man that seems right to a man, a way which seems right to a man, but the end of it is death. Jesus would say, well, in John 8, 34, he who practices sin is a slave to sin. See, sin will always promise to us much more than it can deliver. Now, over in James, James had a lot to say about this. It was interesting as I was reading this this week. I thought, man, James is the perfect picture of this parable which we have just read. So listen to what he says here. James 1, verses 15 through 17. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, give birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. But now listen to this next verse. This is what really kind of gripped my attention this week. The next verse says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That is a perfect picture of this parable and this young man where he is at. Man, he was enticed, lured away by his own desires, took what he thought was his, went away into the far country when all the time the Father was the one who was the one who gave the good gifts. And that's what sin is. Sin is when we begin to believe that the Father is not good. When what God can give us and how God can fulfill us, it's not good. It's not as good as what this world can offer us. And that's exactly what this young man that we called the prodigal uh, felt. That's what he experienced. So verse 14, which is really a verse that we often skip, I think, when we talk about this parable. And verse 14 says there's a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Now, to me, that is a really important event, a severe famine, not just a famine, but a severe famine, which covered the whole country, not just a little city, but it covered the whole country. Country, So it was a thing that God, I believe, that God brought into this situation to wake up this young man, to stir up this young man. God often used famine, if you stop and think about it. How did God get his people moved from Egypt? He used a famine to take Joseph's brothers to Egypt to meet Joseph, to get food, to get supplies. So God used this famine. Now, I'm not saying that God caused the famine. That's a theological thing we could discuss, I'm sure. Uh, Probably most of us believe in the sovereignty of God. I do. And this anyway, this famine in this country came into the life of this young man, and then he began to wake up. Uh, Jonah, I think of Jonah. Jonah, God used a storm in his life. Have you guys heard of a guy by the name of John Newton? John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. I hope I got that right. John Newton, you know what happened in his life? He was on a slave ship. He became a stowaway on a slave ship because he wanted to leave the place he was and go to the free country because he thought it was a better place. In the midst of the ocean, God sent a terrible storm. In the midst of that terrible storm, John Newton stowed away, trying to hide, realized he needed God, and he called out to God, and later he would pin Amazing Grace. Man, God uses things to wake people up, to make them understand their weakness when they confront life. So even today, I believe that is true. I don't believe there is a person in this place or in this world that will ever turn to God or come to God without God doing some kind of work to stir him up. I don't think any of us have just woke up someday and said, you know what? I think I'll repent and trust Jesus today. I don't think that happened. I think God in his grace, he brings things into our life. Most often, I think the spirit of God and the word of God. But here he used a storm. He used a famine. Man, God will come into our life and he will do what is necessary to wake us up and make us realize who he is and who we are. So here's this severe famine. You might think, my God Don't do stuff like that. Well, I would say you got your God, that's for sure. Because you see them all through the scriptures using things like that to stir individuals up. And I would ask you this. What would be more loving? And we was asked this question last week, I think, in sermon or in Sunday school, I don't remember. But which would be most loving? For God just to leave that boy in a pig pen or for God to send a famine and get him out of the pig pen? See, it's all your perception of how you see God. I see God as a loving God to do what is necessary to wake an individual up. In fact, this young boy, this young Jewish boy, uh, he got so down that he hired out to a citizen of that country, which would be a Gentile, and he took a job feeding pigs, which according to Leviticus, the law, well, was just a dirty animal not to be messed with. So here you find him taking an unacceptable position feeding dirty hogs because he had chosen to leave the father. And then the famine comes, and all of a sudden, the young boy is saying, man, I'd just like to be able to eat the pig feed. I'd like to eat what they're eating. You talk about low. This young man had it reached the bottom. Now, you know, I, I imagine when this young guy had his inheritance, I imagine when he had... All the money, and he was partying and having a good old time. I imagine he had more friends than he could count. Don't you? I mean, isn't that the way the world does you? As long as you've got something to give back, and and you're with your buddies and partying up, and everybody's having a good time, but then all of a sudden everything's gone, and so often how many friends just disappear? Man, that's the world. That's the way the world operates. And that's where this young man found himself. He found himself in a pig pen, with nothing including no friends no one that even give him a morsel to eat all because he had chosen to depart from the father he did not want to be under the authority of the father and he did not want to humble himself before the father and he did not trust the provisions of the father so he found himself in a pig pen well i'm glad he doesn't stay there I hope you're not there. But honestly, there are some folks who are. Verses 17 through 20. But, you know, I always tell people when you do Bible study, look for those, those words like but. Man, because something's about to happen, okay? But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. So here's his journey back. You know, man, I mean, he fell as far as a person could fall. And sometimes people have to do that. They have to just bottom out to realize their need in life. So he had bottomed out, and the scripture says, he came to himself. Now that's an interesting phrase, and it's interpreted different ways. But to me it just means he, he just, he got his head on straight, okay? He, he started thinking clearly, I don't know about you guys, and maybe it's a Georgia thing. I don't know, but my dad used to tell me, son, you better get your head on straight. I don't know if you guys ever heard that, but I heard that more than once in my life. You better get your head on straight. And he was saying, you better start thinking about things right. And this young man, he began to consider things in the right way. And it was in his misery that he came to himself. While he had everything that he wanted of this world, He didn't come to himself. It was all about himself. But all of a sudden, he began to think rightly. And God had used this famine to bring him to this place where he could see himself clearly and he could see the Father clearly. So it involved his mind. It involved his heart. If you kind of noticed as I read those verses there, 14 times there is a reference to the Father. All right? All of a sudden... He wasn't thinking about the pig pods. He wasn't thinking about how much better he could live life on his own. All of a sudden, he was thinking about the Father. Fourteen times it references the Father in seven verses, and there is a reason for that. Because, see, this young man came to a place where he not only realized that he had reached bottom, he also thought about his father. He thought about the goodness of his father. How he had sinned against his father and how he had sinned against heaven. And here, his father's servants had it better than he did. See, he began to think about the goodness of the father. The kindness of the father. Why is that important? Because Romans 2, 4 says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not just that we have a a terrible, shaking fear of God. The scripture says when the goodness of God, the kindness of God grips our heart, it leads us to repentance. See, there's different types of sorrow that we feel in this life. 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. Listen to what Paul writes to this church. And this is really to the complete church because they had not handled the sin in their church the way they should have, which they finally did, thankfully. But he's writing this. He says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas, here's the other side, worldly grief produces death. See, worldly grief, just makes you where you're sorry you're in the situation you're in. Or, or if you did something wrong, you're just sorry that you got caught. But worldly sorrow, that's built on the kindness of God. And he says, um, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also, see, this is what real repentance does. But also, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourselves innocent in this manner. In other words, there is a huge difference from being sorry that you are in the circumstances you are in and realizing that you have departed the Father that you have chosen the things of the world over the love and the mercy and the grace that the Father has shown you. So he came to this realization. Corey Smith, who's with Founders Ministry, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that ministry, it's a good ministry, uh, but Founders Ministry says this, It is only in the dark and dreadful background of the wickedness and ugliness of sin that we're able to see the beauty and the glory of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Man, it's when we realize the ugliness and the wickedness of sin and and the decisions that we make when we depart from the Father that God brings us to ourself in our mind and in our heart. And then we begin to see the beauty and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I tell you, I want to say this to you this morning, though. If you just see... if to those of you who are believers, if you just see yourself as a sinner, if that's the only way you see yourself, you will find yourself in life discouraged. You will find your desperation that time. You will be in despair. But when you see God for who He is, there should be hope in your heart. It is a good thing to know that when we depart from the Father, We do it because we are broken people. And yes, we are broken people until the day we go to heaven. But you know what? You're more than a broken person if you're a child of God. If God has brought you, as this parable would say, to yourself, and you realize where you were in your life, and it brought you back to the Father, the goodness of God, what did he say? In verse 18, he said, I'm going to go, I'm going to get up, And I'm going to go. There's your will. He said, I'm going to do something. There's a picture of repentance. See, repentance involves your mind, your thought process. It involves your heart, where where God works those emotions and stuff in your heart. And it involves your will. You take action. And that's exactly what you see in this young man as he is in the pig pen. It moved from him just coming to himself and thinking right and getting his head on right but it was in his heart as he considered the goodness of his father. And it was in his will when he said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go back. Spurgeon, when he was talking about this, listen to this. Yeah, I, I like Spurgeon, you know that. But anyway, he says, some of you whom I now address have been thanking and thanking and thanking. Till I fear that you're going to thank yourselves into perdition. May you, by divine grace, be turned from thinking to believing, or else your thoughts will become the undying worm of your torment. See what he's saying? He's saying, folks, it's got to move beyond just what we think. It involves our heart, it involves our will. We get up and we do something. And man, this young man, he said, I have. Sin. He didn't say, Dad made me sin. He didn't say, My older brother made me sin. Was it the village that made me sin? Man, I just sinned. That's three of the best words you can ever say. If you are not a child of God, even if you are a child of God. I have sinned. No one's fault but me. I have sinned. King David, when he sinned with Bathsheba and had her husband killed and everything, you know what's recorded that he said in Psalms 51, uh, 4? He said, against you, God, only against you have I sinned. That's what happens when we come to ourselves if we're in the world. If we're in the world and God does a work within us, One of the things we are going to do, we are going to see ourselves and we are going to be honest and say, I have sinned. No longer are we going to be out from under the Father's authority. We want to be under the Father's authority. We come back to the Father with humility and with submission instead of saying, I want what I want and I'm leaving. We say, God, I humble myself before you. You are God, not me. So he went back to the Father. And this is really the main character, the Father. God, our Heavenly Father. And by the way, if you found yourself there in the prodigal, I, I hope you're the prodigal that that's came back. If you're a prodigal that's still hanging out in the world and looking for the pleasure of the world and satisfaction of the world and you love the world more than you love the Father, man, I pray the Spirit of God would stir you up today and get your head on straight. And you realize that God did not send his son to die for you, that you could love the world, but that you could love him. See, we love the Father because he first loved us. How do we know that love? He gave his son because he loved us. So the Father, God, our Heavenly Father, he didn't act very respectful, to be honest, because it says he saw him, he had compassion on him, he ran, he embraced him, he kissed him. What I mean by that is they say a a man of respect would not run normally. But this father, it sounds as though he had been standing out there watching for the return of his son. And the depth of this son's sin does not even compare to the depth of this father's love for his son. Man, if that truth could just grip the hearts of God's children. Oh, I'm such a sinner. Yeah, you are, but you know what? God, man, his love is so great. God's love covers our sins. Man, we we can't live our lives constantly under the condemnation of sin, we who are believers. We have to understand that God has done a wonderful work on our behalf. And just like, the father was standing there and, and watching for the son. And says he had compa- compassion, and he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. He, he did not berate him. He did not judge him. He did not condemn him. He did not get on his case. He kissed him. And that word kiss, the tense of that's really interesting because it means he kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed and kissed him. It wasn't just a single little kiss. The tense is he repeatedly kissed kissed his son when you kiss someone like that what are you doing often you're looking right in their eyes and man he was looking in the eyes of that son who had forsook him who had said to him by leaving you i don't want to be under your authority i I don't love you i want to provide for myself you can't but here this son is back and this father is kissing him Oh, boy, I, I love verse 21. He started to, to recite his, his uh, speech that he had come up with. You know, he's going to say, Father, against you only have a sin, against heaven have I sinned. And that's all he gets out. And then it says, but, and there's that word again, but, the Father. Man, it was like the Father did not even want to hear his prepared speech. The Father was just so thrilled to have his son back. And he said, bring, bring these items, bring the sandals, and bring the robes, and bring the ring. And, and man, let's, let's have a party. You know what all those things represent? All those things represent sonship. He's saying, here, here my son who was lost, who left me. He has now returned. My son is back. See, this boy, he was only, if you go back and read those verses, we we'll at he was just hoping for the meal of a servant. He, he was just hoping when he got back, God would forgive him. And he would bring a servant's meal out and say, here, son, enjoy. But he didn't. He, he said, man, put, put, put a ring on this boy and put a robe on his shoulders and put sandals on his feet and, and let's kill the fatted calf and let's celebrate because my son was dead. And now he's alive, he was lost, and now he's found. Let's celebrate. Man, that is how the father receives his returning sons. And I guarantee you, if you would return to him today, you would not find yourself forgotten, and you would not find yourself forsaken. You will find a father who is compassionate, watching and waiting for his sons to return to himself. See, it's a loving father that we return to It's not a judge who's ready to beat us with his belt. It's a loving father. And that's what draws us to him. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. As I I think about this, you know, I think about the robe and stuff. And and I don't want to spiritualize this a whole bunch, but I, I think it fits. Like over in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, thinking about the robe, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The scriptures talk about we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And, and then for the ring, uh, for the ring, I thought about the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I'm not saying this is 100% right, but this is how uh, I took it. The Holy Spirit, for one thing, the scriptures teach very clearly, if you're a child of God, you have the Spirit of God. Listen to what he says. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. And then let's just jump down and read 16 and 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer in him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So we have the markings of a child. When when we come to the Father, we we have the righteousness of Christ applied to us as He has taken our sin, and we're indwelt by the promised Spirit of God who bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. See, this is the thing. All this Son sought in the far country, He found with the Father. And I guarantee you, Christians, there's some of us who have wandered to the far country thinking that's where we're going to find what we need when all the time what we really need is with the Father. And this young boy, he had to find that out. Let me read 1 John 3.1 to you. I think this is a great text that goes for this point. 1 John 3.1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, talking to Christians. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, and I think the King James says, see what kind of out-of-this-world love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why, listen, the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Man, there is supposed to be a clear distinction between the children of God and those who are living in the world. In fact, John 10, 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life, Jesus said. What kind of life did he say? Abundant life. What we need is with the Father. He is what we need. It's not the world that's going to satisfy. So what did he say? He also said, Let us celebrate. Now, the first two parables, there's a found, they found a sheep and there was celebration. The second parable, they found a coin and there was celebration. Now, they found a son and they invite people to gather together, kill the fatted calf, and say, Man, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. My son who was lost is found, who's dead is alive. Let's celebrate. And the scriptures teach very clearly that every person who's ever walked on this face of the world other than Jesus Christ have been dead in their sins and dead in their trespasses. But dear friends, God does not leave us there. He seeks us out and calls us to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to John five twenty four. This is the verse that every new believer, if I have time to visit with them, this is the verse I share with them. It's in red if you have a red letter. But listen to what he says. Truly, truly. This is Jesus speaking. When you hear truly, truly, it means you really need to listen now to what I'm going to say. Okay? Truly, truly, I, Jesus, says to you, a believer, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. What's that word? Has. It don't say you hope, you wish, you think. It says you have eternal life. And he does not, not hopes he doesn't, but he does not come into judgment. And he is, he has, again, has passed from death to life. Do you see what you have? Just that one verse when you come to Christ, you have eternal life, you don't fear judgment, and you have passed from death into the life that I just mentioned in John 10.10, which is an abundant life. See, love and mercy is the theme of the Father. And when we see the Father as our Creator, yes, but we also see Him as our Sustainer, our Provider, more importantly, as our Redeemer, when we really see Him for He is, who He is, then love moves us, to get up and go to him, which is a picture of belief, which is a picture of faith. Read John 10, John 6, and you'll see that truth there. Listen to 1 John. I, I, I keep going back to 1 John because the Apostle John, he was the apostle of love, but listen to what he said in verses 9 and 10. He said, In this the love of God was made manifest around among us, that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love... Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Do you see that? It's not that we love God so much that God sent his son. It is the fact that God loves us. When we are his enemies, when we are weak, when we are unlovable, when our God is our stomach, he loves us. He loves us to the point that he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He sent his son to die in our place so we could be like this young son and we could return to the Father through Jesus Christ. Now here's one of my concerns about this idea of celebration. I really believe this, and I know I'm not talking about any of us here, okay? But I really believe more Christians can tell you about how sinful they are than how much they can tell you they are forgiven and accepted. That's why so many Christians don't celebrate. They live with the idea of brokenness all the time. And yes, we are broken. But you know what else? We are restored and we are forgiven. And that should move us to be men and women and youth and children know how to celebrate because of the presence of the Father. There are too many Christians who live their life like they've been baptized in vinegar instead of cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Man, folks, we who are believers, we who are walking with the Father and fellowship with the Father, we should be individuals who understand what it means to celebrate the goodness of God. To celebrate the hope that he has given us in Christ Jesus. To celebrate the fact that he has promised us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The promise that he says, man, I'm coming back someday to bring my children home. See, we have so many things. You know, Romans would say to us, He who gave his son for us, will, how will he not freely give us all things in Christ Jesus? How can we not celebrate? we just don't think about the truth of who God is and what he's done and that's what the young son had to come to realize who the father was and what he had done then the son got up and said I'm going home and when he got home he found a compassionate loving father who accepted him as a son They killed the fatted calf and they celebrated. Let me ask you something. You just ask yourself this question. Are you a son or daughter who celebrates the reality of being a child of God? Are you one of those that can tell you a bunch more about how broken you are instead of how restored you are? See, I don't think we should ever get away from either of those truths. But man, we can get way loaded over on one side if we're not careful. We need to be sons and daughters who know how to come back and celebrate who God is and what He has accomplished. Last one, the elder son. Tony, you say Sunday school starts at eleven, don't you? No. (laughs) No. I'm kidding. The older son, let's look at him real quick, okay? Verses 25 through 32. And now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing, celebration. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has received, from, he has received him back safe and sound. But the son was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat, and we might put in prunces, nonetheless a fatted calf, that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive, and he is lost and found. Some interesting things I want to point out just real quick about this elder son. I hope you're not there, but I guarantee you there's a lot of people who are, who profess to be believers. One of the things you notice about him, he was in the field. You know what that means? That means he stayed home and worked for dad while the other son was out blowing his fortune, okay? So he would say to you, I'm the Laurel boy. Hey, I'm the boy that was committed to the father. I'm the guy that stayed home and worked. I'm the guy that was in church every Sunday. I'm the guy that taught Sunday school. God, you never did that for me, that you're doing for that person. See, he was the one who was committed. And he heard this music, and there was celebration. He learned what was going on. You'd think he'd be happy the brother came home, but no. See, because his real problem was he loved himself more than he loved the father and more than he loved others. A man's self-love will kill your love for God and kill your love for others. Should you love yourself right? Love your neighbor as yourself. But there is a way to do that and a way not to. Well, this young boy certainly did not love himself the way he should have because he said it was angry. He would not go to the party, which I just take to be pride. You know, he says, man, I, I, I deserve. You ever say that to God? God, I deserve this. No, we don't. But this son, the elder son, because of his commitment to staying home and working, he had this idea, of, I deserve. And maybe underneath that's what he's really saying, Dad, you're using my half of the inheritance to party for this son. Why do I say that? Because earlier it said he split everything between his two sons. The younger took all his and blew it. Which means what was left was the elders. So it's like he's saying, man, God, dad, you're using my stuff to party up for this son who's been out with prostitutes and spending his fortune. You remember the parable of the labors over Matthew chapter 20? Where the master went out, and he hired some early in the day, some middle of the day, and so forth. Came the end of the day, those ones who would last, he paid a certain amount. Came the other, and he paid them the same. Came the others, he paid them the same. Those who worked all day said, surely I'm going to get more. They didn't. They got the same. And because they did, the scripture says, they grumbled. And you know what the master said to him? Do you begrudge my generosity? See, that's the way we should be as the children of God. We need to understand that our God is generous, that our God is loving, that our God knows what is right, what he needs to do. He is able to do all that he desires to do. And we need to rejoice when God is at work in the lives of other people instead of being like this young man who thinks he deserves to be treated better than the other son. Now listen to what else he says. I served. I never disobeyed you. Hey, Dad. <laughs> I'm the obedient son. I'm the one who did everything you said. I plowed when you said plow, and I picked up rocks when you said pick up rocks. I cleaned the stables when you cleaned the stables. Everything you did, Dad, I... Everything you said, that I did... Surely, God, in some way, I have earned your favor over this other son. Surely, God, you want to bless me more than you want to bless this other son. Because, God, I deserve it. And there are a lot of people today who profess to be believers, and maybe some of them are believers. I'm not the one to play judgment there. But who are really trying to appease God they are trying to earn God's favor. They're trying to earn God's favor by going to altars and, and doing cert, certain church things and, and uh, systems, religious systems that have been set up. In fact, brothers and sisters, every plan of redemption is either based on grace or is based on works. And if it is based on works, it's just like this elder son. Trying to appease God with what we do. Trying to be obedient enough. Trying to do enough good stuff. Making sure this balance that the scale of good outweighs the scale of bad. And dear friends, we will never make the scale in our favors in ourselves. And why should we even try when God has done what He has done in the Lord Jesus Christ... And the only way any of us are going to enter into the presence of God is because of what Christ has done on the cross. That's the only reason we have hope. But there is a world of people calling themselves Christians today who do not have their faith in a God of grace, but hoping I can appease Christ. I just got to do enough. We do not, we are not the propitiation for sin. The verses I just read in 1 John, Jesus is. Jesus is the one who satisfied God. And we can't. I'm sure this young boy probably worked some when he got home, but I don't think he did it because he feared the Father so much as he did because he had come to understand what a loving father he had. And I would say to you today, man, we as Christians, we should be workers. We should be servants. We should be obedient. We should do everything the father tells us to do, but not because we're trying to earn brownie points. But because we have a loving father. And because he loves us, we love him. See this elder son, man. He was good, what we would call a good religious guy. Obedient, committed. But the scriptures tell us very clearly there's no righteous. no, not one. The Old Testament tells us that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. You have time, go home today and read Romans 9 and Romans 10 and See see Paul's heart when he talks about his countrymen who are trying to establish their own righteousness. He says, my heart is filled with great sorrow. I I have an increasing agonization in my life. And he, He hops to chapter 10 and says, because my countrymen are trying to establish their righteousness on their own instead of the righteousness of God. Man, folks we just got to come to grip with that. Our hope is not based on performance. How often do I hear that? Well, I just got to. I just got to. You got to. You ought to. No. We do it because God loves us. Yeah, we ought to because we want to be obedient children. But we don't do it to appease a loving father. He was ungrateful for everything God had done for him. In fact, if you would look back at the very first beginning of chapter 15 where he started these three parables about the lost, he says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes, you might recognize this from the parable of the laborers, Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then verse 3 starts with, So he told them these parables. See, he told it because of people just like this adult, older son. Because they were religious, legalistic, thinking they were earning the favor of God, thinking God owed them when he didn't. They just didn't realize that God was loving God. How did God demonstrate his love to us while we were yet sinners? Christ died for us. Folks, man, write that down. Write that down in your mind. Write write that down everywhere you can. Christ died for me. Christ died for me. As we consider that great thought, the love of God should swell up in our hearts and we should love him. We should be that, that son, that young son who wants to stay home now with dad. We want to fellowship with him. We want to know him. We want to love him. We want to serve him. We want to walk with him. Man, we just want to hang out with God because he loves us. Where do you find yourself in this parable today? I hope you find yourself as a young son who has returned. And in saying that, I hope this. I hope you know how to celebrate your position in Christ. I hope you know what it means to rejoice in Christ. If not, you need to just say, hey, God, I'm right here in this spot. And you will find a God who loves you. A God who will not forget you, will not forsake you. You might be one of those sons who you've never come to the Father, not yet believed, I call it, because I'm hoping someday God will bring you to believe. I would pray for you that, man, God would would do whatever he needs to do in your life today to open your eyes to the reality of who he is and who you are and that your only hope is Jesus. And that today, you will come to a loving, compassionate God. And you will not find yourself forsaken or forgotten. It might be that you're one of those sons that you're in the far country. In fact, the truth is, is the oldest son, he was in the far country. He was with the dad, but his heart was in the far country. You can be sitting right here in this sanctuary today, and you can be far from God. Because you can be just like that elder son. You can be hoping that you're good enough. Hoping that you try hard enough. Hoping that you're better than me. And that wouldn't be too hard. But, you know, just hoping all these things about yourself. Or or you've just not seen yourself as one in the far country. And my prayer for you today is that God would do a work of grace in your life. That he would do something to stir you up today. To bring you to yourself that you realize who you are, who God is, and that Christ is your only hope. See, the scripture says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourself it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Dear friend, don't walk out of this place being one who's trying. Oh, I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. Don't be one of those people. Be one who says, I'm trusting. I'm trusting. I'm trusting. And you will find a father who has not forgotten you. Close with an illustration. I hope I get this guy's name right. His name is John Vocal. You guys ever hear of John Vocal? V-O-K-E-L. It's a different name, but he was a chaplain in Korea, during the Korean War. North fighting south, you're familiar with that. They had POW camps in the South that was just full of North Korean prisoners. John Vocal was an American who was made a chaplain to the POW camps. So he came up with a plan. He believed God laid it on his heart. And he went to the first POW camp, and the people respected him because he knew Korean. (coughs) He taught them how to sing a little song about Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He taught them that whole song in Korean. Then he went to the next camp, taught them the same song, Jesus loves me, this I know. Went to each camp, I don't know how many there was, and he taught them the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. And then he went back, started that circle again, and he began to teach them simple truths about God's love for them in Christ Jesus. Each camp. Every time he'd make a circle, he'd teach them another truth about the love of God for them in Christ Jesus. The war ended. Some of you could tell me the year, but I don't remember. The war ended, and they opened those prison gates, and literally thousands of those North Koreans refused to turn return to North Korea. You know why? They didn't want to be communists anymore. They had come to realize there was a God who loved them, loved them so much that he sent a son to die in their place that they could have life. Man, they stayed in South Korea, never went back. Man, brothers and sisters and friends, that is the same God today. I cannot save a person in here. No one can, only God can. And my prayer for you, again, is if you don't know Christ, that today the Spirit of God might do some work in your life to open your eyes, first to yourself, that you're a sinner, secondly to God, that he is a kind, compassionate, loving God. He does hate sin, but he sent his son to die in the place of those who would believe on him so that they might have eternal life. So what do you got to do? Come to yourself, who you are, who God is, and then do something. What do I mean by do something? only thing the Bible says, believe. Believe what God says about himself, about you, and about Christ. Let's pray together, shall we? (coughs) Father, man, God, forgive us. Or how often we forget that you really are a good God. Man, we sing it, we repeat it over and over, a good, good God. And then so many of your children go out and live that you are not even involved in their lives. That really they even question the the reality of the forgiveness they have in Christ Jesus. And they don't celebrate, man. They just kind of trudge through life like everyone else. I pray for those my brothers and sisters myself when i get in that type of situation god help us remember that you're compassionate that you just wait for us to come to you in confession and, and lord that you love us god just just draw people to yourself today not to this church not to this pastor not to some program but just draw people to yourself this morning lord remind them of how much you love them Help us to celebrate, Father. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.